Hi, and welcome to episode eight of the Hormonal Mama podcast. Today, we are talking pregnancy misconceptions, truths, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So first, let's talk about some pregnancy myths and misconceptions, and let's debunk them and really break down why they're false. So first, I want to talk for a little while about morning sickness because there are a lot of myths around morning sickness, and they're sort of categorized here. So first, let's start. Morning sickness only occurs in the morning. Well, that's false. If you've ever been pregnant and dealt with morning sickness, you may have had it during the morning, but as is the case for many of us, morning sickness is not only in the morning, it can occur any time of day. You might have it in the morning, you might have it in the afternoon, the evening, overnight, you might have a combination of those, or in my case, all day, every day, and all night, every night. So it really just depends on the person. It is a myth that it is only in the morning. I don't know why they call it morning sickness. I have never known the answer to that. I think it's pretty crazy that someone decided to call it morning sickness when for a lot of us, we call it all day, everyday sickness, <laughs> or like I said, overnight. A lot of women experience morning sickness overnight and it interrupts their sleep. They're nauseous or they're vomiting. So again, morning sickness is not only in the morning. That is one of the most important things, in my opinion, if you plan on becoming pregnant or you are pregnant, you don't want to be fooled into thinking that morning sickness is only going to occur in the morning because, well, that's just a lie. So <laughs> that's number one. Next on my list, morning sickness always includes vomiting. This is also false. So vomiting isn't always the end result of morning sickness, right? For a lot of women, it can last all day, just be nausea all day long and never vomiting, right? So in my case, I had morning sickness, my basically my entire pregnancy. And in the beginning, it started with vomiting, but wasn't all that often. And it wasn't every single day, I only threw up a few times in my pregnancy. But the nausea was unrelenting. It went on all day long into the evening, sometimes overnight. So, you know, you always see in movies and TV morning sickness, they wake up, they feel okay, they go to work and, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're in the bathroom throwing up and then they feel great the rest of the day. That's just movies and TV. That's entertainment, right? So that's not reality at all. Keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> so that's our, our second one on the list. Next up, I have vomiting will relieve morning sickness symptoms. Mm, no, <laughs> that's not really the case. For some women, sure. You know, once you get it out, you feel a lot better and then you can go about your day and feel great. But in a lot of cases, that's not the case at all. You might vomit and then feel worse. And that's horrible. So going into it, expecting that, okay, I'm going to deal with morning sickness. And once I throw up, I'm going to feel better. Not necessarily. You might keep that in mind. You know, everything on this list, I, I just want to take a minute to remind you that pregnancy is complicated. 
it is different for every woman. Every woman's experience is going to be different. And there's no one way that things go. So <clears throat> I just think it's important to mention that. So for some women, yes, vomiting is going to relieve the symptoms and they're going to feel a lot better. And for a lot of women, it's not going to do anything or it might even make them feel worse. So morning sickness, it's complicated. Um, and, you know, there's just so many different ways to describe morning sickness and all the different symptoms that come along with it. Next, everyone will experience morning sickness. This is so false, 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 false. <laughs> not everyone is going to deal with morning sickness. A lot of women will, but not everyone. So keep that in mind as well. Some women might just deal with mild nausea. There are a lot of women out there who have a smooth sailing, no morning sickness pregnancy. And that's great. I am jealous of those women. Man, I wish that I didn't deal with morning sickness, but they might be dealing with other things that, you know, are, are terrible as well. Um, but it is important to just remember that not everyone experiences morning sickness. Many women have no nausea, no vomiting, and that is okay. A lot of the time you might hear people say, well, if you don't experience morning sickness, then there's something wrong with your pregnancy. I, you know, I should put that there as a myth. That is a myth. That is not true at all. Just because you don't have morning sickness or any type of nausea doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your pregnancy. You may have a very healthy, wonderful pregnancy. Morning sickness has nothing to do with whether you are going to have a viable pregnancy or a healthy pregnancy. It's just a symptom that a lot of women experience. So morning sickness is not going to affect everyone and it's not going to affect everyone in the same way. Some women aren't going to have it at all. Some women are going to have a very severe version, which you're going to get to in a moment. It just depends person to person. Okay. Um, next up, I want to talk about the myth <laughs> that morning sickness ends after the first trimester. This is false. It might, it might end after the first trimester, but again, this is just person to person. Everyone's experience is different. So some women have it throughout the entire pregnancy. Like I mentioned before, I was one of those women. I dealt with morning sickness from, I think it started at week five on the dot. It got a little bit better by what week 15, week 16. And then I was on medication at that point to deal with it because it was so bad and it was interrupting my life so much. But I still dealt with nausea throughout my pregnancy. I still had to eat certain things at certain times. I had a whole routine. I had a routine, a schedule of food every single day and overnight that I had to eat at certain times so that I wouldn't get too nauseous. It, it was a whole thing. So keep that in mind. It is not necessarily going to end after the first trimester, but it might. The myth there is that morning sickness, end of the first trimester, it's going to be gone and everything's going to be smooth sailing and everything's going to be great. Not necessarily. So, so there's your myth there. The last thing I have on my morning sickness myth list is hyperemesis gravidarum. Um, that in itself is not a myth. The myth there is that it isn't real and it's just women overreacting to their morning sickness symptoms. No, not at all. That 
part of it is extremely false. Hyperemesis gravidarum, or HG, as a lot of women refer to it, is a very real, very horrible medical condition that can cause severe dehydration. So I kind of want to take a minute to talk about this because a lot of women deal with this and a lot of people don't really understand it because they don't deal with it themselves. And I'll tell you, you're lucky if you don't deal with it because it's horrible. I've seen firsthand people I love deal with the intensity of it. So regular typical morning sickness is really nauseous and vomiting, you know, once or twice a day um, or, or not, you know, like I was saying before, vomiting is not always the end result of morning sickness. With hyperemesis gravidarum, it's a different level of nausea and vomiting. It's the, the nausea is so severe and the vomiting is relentless. It's vomiting 10, 15, 20 times a day. It's just constant vomiting and it's violent vomiting. You know, it's it's really intense. It's the kind where you feel like your eyes are going to bug out of your face. And after you throw up, finally, you you don't really feel any better. You don't get relief from it. Um, so it's real. Hyperemesis is not something that women are making up and saying, oh, I'm just throwing up a lot and I feel miserable. And even if they are, so what? Who cares, right? If someone's that miserable and you're going to tell them they're overreacting, well, expect to get a punch in the face or something because when you're pregnant and you're that nauseous, you don't want someone telling you that you're overreacting. Oh, I wouldn't tell a pregnant woman that. You're really asking for trouble there. But someone who is dealing with a true medical condition such as hyperemesis gravidarum, it is real, 100% real. So that is a myth there as well. So that I think talking about morning sickness and really breaking that down into, you know, all these different categories it's really important to understand that there are all of these myths surrounding morning sickness. All right, next up on my list of myths is miscarriage. So this is a very sensitive and difficult topic. But I also think it's a really important topic to discuss because miscarriage happens so much more often than people realize, and it affects so many women, and it's just not talked about enough. So I want to talk about some myths surrounding miscarriage. So first on my list here is that miscarriage only occurs in the first trimester. Unfortunately, this is false. Though the majority of miscarriages do occur in the first trimester, it can occur at any time during a pregnancy. So at any point during a pregnancy, this can happen, though prior to 20 weeks of pregnancy, it is referred to as a miscarriage and after 20 weeks, it's called a stillbirth. So this this one is really difficult because it, there's such a a, a, um, a common thought that miscarriages can only occur in the first trimester. And then once you get past that first trimester, you're in the clear. Now, again, like I said, the majority of miscarriages will occur in the first trimester, but 
a lot of people experience a later miscarriage. And I, I, you know, I don't want anyone going into pregnancy anticipating a miscarriage or being anxious the whole time. Although I know I was anxious from day one of my pregnancy until my children were born. And then I was anxious forever after that. But I, I do want you to just keep in mind when you hear people talk about miscarriage and they say, oh, it's only going to be in the first trimester that that could happen. That's why a lot of people choose to not announce their pregnancy until they've gone into the second trimester because of that fear of miscarriage. Now, I think there's really two parts to that. There's the fear that they're going to jinx it. And then there's the fear that they're going to announce their pregnancy and then miscarry and then have to tell everyone. Now, this is an extremely personal decision. I, you know, I had a lot of people, I announced my pregnancy a little bit early. I was still in my first trimester and I had people ask me, well, why are you announcing now? Don't you want to wait until you're in the safety zone of the second trimester? For me, it was important enough to share my news, but also if I did lose my pregnancy to be able to have support from people, but not everybody feels that way. For a lot of people, they don't want their personal life out there for people to know about. Or the other side of that is that they just don't want the stigma of miscarriage to follow them. And I understand that. Unfortunately, there is this stigma that there shouldn't be, just like there's a stigma around infertility that there shouldn't be. There should be no stigma around miscarriage. Miscarriage is horrible. It is a horrible thing that happens at any time in a pregnancy when someone loses their pregnancy. It's devastating. And there should not be a stigma surrounding it. However, even if it's not the fear of the stigma, this is a very personal decision at what point to announce your pregnancy. Um, but I just, I, I, I feel strongly that saying to someone, are you sure you want to announce now? Wait until the safety zone. First of all, there's no safety zone, right? I, I already debunked that myth. But on top of that, it just adds anxiety, you know, to an already anxious pregnant woman, right? Pregnancy creates a lot of anxiety, no matter what, I don't care who you are, there's anxiety around it. And keeping in mind that you may add to that anxiety by saying, hey, are you sure you want to announce now? There is no safety zone in pregnancy, okay? Pregnant uh, miscarriage can occur at any time. So that's myth number one. Myth number two around miscarriage is that miscarriage is very uncommon or very rare. And this is very, very false. Statistically speaking, around one in four known pregnancies end in miscarriage. Okay, that's that's more than you think. Now, granted, that's still not a huge number, but it's still one in four one in four. That's important to keep in mind. The interesting note about this is that 85% of those one in four pregnancies that end in miscarriage occur in the first trimester, which goes back to my last point, which was that miscarriage only occurs in the first trimester, right? So I, I debunked that and we said that it can occur at any time in pregnancy. However, 85% 
do occur in the first trimester. That's a large number. So I think that's where the myth comes in, where people think it only occurs in the first trimester because this huge percentage does occur. But let's look at that number. There's still 15% of pregnancies that end in miscarriage after the first trimester. Okay. So that that's kind of where I wanted to break that down a little bit and understand miscarriage is a lot more common than you think. And while most, for sure, most occur in the first trimester, there are many more that occur after the first trimester. Next on my list here, there is always a reason for a miscarriage. Again, this is false. In many cases, there is no known reason for the miscarriage, okay? So miscarriage can occur for so many reasons, so, so many reasons. Yes, it can be caused by something that you did, but usually it's something obvious that you shouldn't be doing anyway when you're pregnant. Um, However, the vast majority, really, of miscarriages have no, no known cause, right? A lot of the time, think of miscarriages that occur so early that you didn't even know you were pregnant. That happens a lot more than you think. I don't know the statistics on that. I don't know an exact number, but pregnancies aren't always known until, well, until you're into the pregnancy, right? Pregnancies, it depends on the person. I found out I was pregnant very, very early, but I had also gone through fertility treatment, so I was being monitored. A lot of women don't find out that they're pregnant until they're maybe eight weeks. I think I was four weeks when I found out. But here's the thing. If you conceive and you don't find out that you're pregnant and then you lose the pregnancy, you might not never know, might not ever know that you were pregnant. So that's what I mean when I say known pregnancies. You're aware of your pregnancy. And so there is not always a reason for the miscarriage, okay? Not always. Sometimes there's a reason. If you find out and you're able to get testing done, you might be able to find out. And a lot of the time it's due to chromosomal abnormalities or things like that. But there's not always an answer. And that is devastating. I agree. It is extremely difficult to not have an answer for why you lost your your pregnancy. But that right there is a myth. Last on my, my list here is that miscarriages are always preventable. This is false. You cannot always prevent a miscarriage. Most of the time, you can't prevent a miscarriage. The, the sad fact is, if a miscarriage is going to happen, There's really nothing you can do to stop it. What you can do is take care of your body and do everything you can to keep yourself healthy and not do things that you know are going to cause a miscarriage or will likely cause a miscarriage, like doing uh, drugs or drinking heavily or anything that will potentially cause harm to your unborn child. However, it's except for those things and things that are obviously unhealthy for you and your baby and will likely cause a problem there's not much that you can do and that is extremely difficult you know i say that and i want to make sure to remind you that yes it is extremely difficult to go into this knowing that there's a possibility that you can miscarry and there's probably nothing you can do to stop it but that is a fact Unfortunately, 
they are not always preventable preventable like i said you can do things to help keep your body healthy but if a miscarriage is going to happen there's not really anything you can do to stop it which is unfortunate but it is nature and that's kind of the point there so miscarriages not always preventable there's not always a reason for a miscarriage miscarriages are more common than you think and they do not only occur in the first trimester. All right, so my last section of myths here are just a couple of random things that don't really fit into any one category. Um, After this, I just want to talk about some birth myths. So to start, let's talk. Stretch marks can be prevented. Well, that's false. Believe it or not, stretch marks are likely genetic and can't be prevented. Cocoa butter will not prevent stretch marks, but can be very soothing on stretch marks, which can be itchy and uncomfortable and sometimes painful. I like to use myself as an example here. I was not expecting any stretch marks in my pregnancy because my mom didn't get any, my sister didn't get any, good for them. Uh, I believe I was 32 weeks exactly. And suddenly out of nowhere, I looked at my belly and I had stretch marks all over my belly. And I was like, where did these come from? Because a couple of days before I had looked and there was nothing. My skin was nice and smooth. And then boom, out of nowhere, stretch marks. And I gave birth four days later. So <laughs> stretch marks are not really a preventable thing. And they kind of come out of nowhere. Cocoa butter will feel really good. I had really uncomfortable stretch marks, especially after my pregnancy. They started to hurt and they itched and they were so uncomfortable. And cocoa butter really did help soothe the the discomfort there. But obviously, I still had stretch marks. So (laughs) keep that in mind. Um, Next on my list, all pregnant women experience bizarre food cravings. This is false, 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 false. No. (laughs) Cravings do occur, but not for all women. Everyone is different. The issue, what causes cravings is the constant hormonal changes, which cause dips or spikes in blood sugar levels and other things like that. So cravings are your body's way of sort of telling you that you need a particular nutrient. I didn't have craving. Well, I had some cravings in the beginning. I had more food aversions than cravings. And everyone is different. Um, so so keep that in mind. You, you know, you see on TV and in movies, oh, I have a craving. I need some pickles and ice cream or random things like that. You might have cravings like that. That's possible. Pregnancy is a strange thing. You might have really bizarre cravings, but it's not something to expect, but expect that you might have food aversions or you might have cravings that just aren't bizarre. I do want to make an important note here that if you or someone you love ever craves anything inedible like dirt, paint, soap, dish detergent, laundry detergent, clay, etc., call your doctor immediately. This can be a sign of pica, which can indicate severe anemia. Now, this isn't just for pregnancy. That's in general, but it is more common in pregnancy for this to happen. So that is just important. I just want to make a little note there. That is not a myth. That is a real thing that does happen. Very important. 
So last on my list of random uh, pregnancy myths here is that you need to eat for two. Okay. This one's a little bit complicated because you do need more calories than you normally would take in, but you only need about 200 to 300 extra calories per day, though this number is higher with multiples. So check with your doctor to find out more information and more details about an exact number there. Even if you aren't expecting multiples and you're expecting a singleton, this is something that I think you should talk to your doctor about. But generally speaking, about 200 to 300 extra calories per day. When you hear the phrase, but I'm eating for two. Well, think about it. You are eating for two people, yourself and your unborn child or two or three or four. But think about this for a minute. Back up for a minute. Are you pregnant with a full grown adult? No. If you were pregnant with a full grown adult, then yes, you would need to be eating for two. But really, you're eating for yourself and a teeny tiny little embryo and then fetus. That is such a myth that I understand because you say it out loud and you're like, well, there are there's a baby inside of my body. So, of course, I'm eating for me and them. But think about how little they are. Again, if you were pregnant with a full grown adult, which, you know, let's not even think about how horrendous that would be. But if you were pregnant with a full grown adult, then, yes, you would be eating for two. But you're not. Hopefully that sort of makes a little bit of sense here. Um, my last section here that I want to talk about are some myths and misconceptions around birth. I would like to start by talking about C-sections. So the myth here is that C-sections are easy to recover from or the opposite side of the spectrum, C-sections are hard to recover from. This is complicated. It's a little bit difficult for me to say, well, that's false because my experience was very difficult, but not everyone is going to have the same experience as me or as someone else. I continue to say, and I will always say, every woman is different and every experience is different. Every pregnancy is different. My experience was extremely difficult and complicated. I had some complications and it was just really rough. I couldn't walk for a while. Not every woman is going to have that experience. Many women have a very easy and quick recovery and they say, well, this is great, but I'm going to just make a little note here and say any woman who tells you that it's easy to recover from and that women who complain are whiners because I had that experience, they're only sharing their own experience and then vice versa. Any woman who tells you, oh, it's the worst thing ever. Stay away from a C-section. It's horrible. Don't listen to them either because your experience may be completely different than theirs. So C-sections, very different from woman to woman. Next on my list, C-section is, quote, taking the easy way out. Oh, I want, I, I'm not a violent person, but every time I hear someone say that, I just want to slap them. I just do because keep in mind, a C-section is major abdominal surgery. Okay, it is vastly different than a vaginal birth. Both are equally difficult. Okay, there is no easy way out of giving birth. They are two very, very different ways to give birth. Neither one is easy. They are both extremely difficult and are just so hard. So keep that in mind. You might have an easy birth. I put that in quotes. You can't see me, but I'm quoting my fingers right now. You may have an easy recovery from one or the other, but you might have a very difficult recovery from one or the other. 
this is a very personal, subjective experience. So don't listen to anyone who tells you that one or the other is taking the easy way out. They are equally difficult, equally complicated. And like I said, here's my quote. There is no easy way out of giving birth. Remind yourself that it, it just, they're equally difficult or equally easy depending on who you are. Next up, C-sections are necessary for multiples or for breech babies. This is false. This is also going to be a very subjective situation. It's going to depend on many, many factors, and ultimately you and your doctor are going to make the best decision for you. There are so many factors that will determine the safest birth for you and your baby or babies, if there are multiples. And I can't emphasize enough, every pregnancy, every birth, everything is different from person to person. So not all multiple births are going to be C-section. They're not all going to be vaginal. You might have a combination. You might be able to deliver one baby vaginally and the other one's going to have to be a C-section. You might be, you know, in my case, I had to have a C-section, both babies. I had complications. It was the only safe way to get my babies out. It wasn't what I wanted, but it was what had to be done. Okay. That is not always going to be the case. Every situation is different. Next on my list and last on my list is the myth that not only will your water break on its own, but it will be dramatic and obvious to you and anyone around you. Okay. This is false. Okay. I, I kind of sigh when I say that because that can happen. You can have a dramatic breaking of your water. Sure. You can have the big gush of fluid and everyone's saying, oh my goodness, your water broke. Oh my gosh. But that is not necessarily going to happen, right? I go back to movies and TV because that is what everybody knows. In movies and TV, it's always obvious when someone's water breaks. They have a gush of water that everyone can see and hear. If you've ever watched Friends, there's an episode where Phoebe is pregnant with triplets, right? Well, it's not an episode, obviously. It's a whole series of episodes. But in this particular episode, they're all getting ready to go. I think they were going to take a trip to the beach because she missed the trip to London. But she's very, very pregnant. They're all getting ready to go. They're standing at the door. And then all of a sudden, her water breaks. And the guys, Ross, Joey, and Chandler all kind of look at the floor and take a step back and are like, oh, my goodness. I, that, that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind when I think movies and TV and someone's water breaking, okay, is that it's a super obvious thing. Not necessarily. Like I said, it could happen, but it not it's not necessarily going to happen, okay? Not everyone's water is going to break on its own, and oftentimes the doctor will actually have to break it for you. That is real, not every woman's water will break on its own, okay? Let's kind of keep that in mind for a minute. However, if your water does break on its own, because it might, it will often, but not always, be more like a trickle rather than a gush of fluid, okay? That's important to keep in mind is it's not always going to be this obvious like, bam, hey, whoa, your water just broke. It might be, but it might also be like, hmm, I think my water might have broken, but I'm not sure. Because if you're feeling unsure, it's probably because what you've been told or what you've seen is that it's going to be obvious. Not necessarily. Okay, so keep that in mind. The way that your water breaks or doesn't break 
you know, again, it, it's not always going to break, but the way that it breaks, if it does break on its own, might not be how you expect. Okay. That is important. That right there is a big myth. And it's just, it's just not reality. Just isn't. So I hope that breaking down some of these myths and and giving you the truth surrounding them was helpful. Hopefully you uh, aren't going into pregnancy or birth feeling completely thrown off like I was. I was completely unprepared for a lot of these things because I believed what I was, was told or what I saw. And this is just not all reality. So tune in next week. Next week, I'm going to be rounding out my Misconceptions, Truths, and Everything in Between series talking about postpartum next week. Postpartum Misconceptions, Truths, and Everything in Between. So have a great week and I will talk to you next week.